Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Kara Kusumano, who is the uh, festival director and VP of programming at the Tribeca Festival. Uh, I am extremely excited to talk to Kara about this year's festival, just in, in terms of the programming, what, what they've got coming up, but also to discuss festivals as places that people go to, Kara, uh, because in over the last couple of years here, you know, we had a pandemic. There was a there was a lot of trouble getting people in one place um, for good reason. And that has had weird consequences for film festivals uh, in particular, which have uh, done a good job, I think, of trying to work around that, but also are now, I think, maybe trying to move back towards festivals taking place in a discrete place where people could come and gather and enjoy movies, music, everything else. Um, Kara, thanks for being on the show. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the festival as a thing that people go to because I'm I've always loved Tribeca as an idea. Tribeca being this film festival at the at the beginning um, that tried to get people back to downtown New York after nine eleven. You know, it's a, a devastated economy. Uh, film festival comes back, gets people in, go into restaurants, go into movies, that sort of thing. Um, and that's an important part of the story here of the festival. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, when you're talking about festivals as a, a thing that physically happens in a specific place in person, um, that is very much a part of our founding mission. You know, the the post 9-11 moment when um, the businesses downtown were struggling, people were not really um, coming back, uh, creating the festival as a place for community and to really have a, a healing purpose around film. That's the the reason the festival came to be. Um, and it stayed with us, I think, in our DNA, even when that felt less sort of specifically urgent. Uh, and then it became urgent again, you know, around the COVID era. And I feel like we were uniquely positioned in that moment because we were not only the, the festival that did this once before, that kind of had a festival in a moment of crisis when the community really did need to come together, but we're also the kind of innovation festival. And when we couldn't come together, how do you have a festival anyway? Is it online? Is it outside? You know, we did all of these things. Um, so I think that 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 has continued to be a really core purpose to what it is that we do over the last 20 plus years. As, as, uh, you know, the festival director and as somebody who, you know, works on programming these things, how does that, how does uh, the inability to gather in a place change how you program, what you decide to show, um, what sort of events you can put on? Uh, you know, I'm, I, I imagine that just logistically, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, it was interesting because, um, you know, the if you're thinking about the, the kind of COVID years, um, 2020, it was March 2020 that everything uh, shut down. At that point, we had announced our program. Mm -hmm. We were weeks away from having a festival. So we had to make um, something new really quickly. Uh, it was approaching films that were already in the festival about doing something online. It was giving our awards. It was, um, you know, there was a very um, practical angle of like, what can we do immediately? Uh, and then we had a whole year to plan. And then it was 2021 and things were still shut down. But we did have a, an in-person festival that year. I think we were the first in North America, if not one of the first. Um, 
and we did it all outdoors. So that was that was the solution was what is the safe way. So a lot of the planning was um, was very logistical, very um, how do we just change what the physical experience is in order to make it safe. And then in parallel, we did the online festival too. So there were films um, that screened both in person and online. There were films that were just online. And and yeah, I was thinking about a different audience. You know, it's not only the the kind of local community and the New Yorkers that we know very well, but now we're talking about nationwide and people wanting to participate in what what's a movie that plays well when you're home and watching a Q&A virtually. Uh, and is that different than what plays well when you're in person at a premiere. Um, so these are all questions we were kind of asking ourselves and answering in real time. Mm. Well, I, I, can you can I don't I don't want to put you on the spot here, but are there were there any specific um, uh, movies or events that you were like, well, this this just this is going to be much better virtually uh, than some other things might be virtually. Uh, was there what what specifically were you kind of looking at and thinking about in that in that regard? Well, when we're programming the in-person festival, we do so much live beyond just the screenings. There's, you know, at bare minimum, you're, there's an introduction, there's a Q&A, the filmmaker is there to kind of share in the excitement and the experience and talk directly to the audience. But a lot of our events are also featuring live music performances. You know, I think we have 10, 12 um, different full concerts at the festival this year that are paired with um, films about the subject, Indigo Girls or um, Gloria Gaynor, French Montana, they're all coming and, and playing. Um, so those films, you know, benefit from having that live kind of coming off the screen at you experience, which has been so much a part of what we think makes Tribeca really exciting. So um, looking at online, you know, you're sort of in a way liberated from that. It's just, it's just the film, you know, there's, we can do a virtual Q and A, but really it's like, what do people want to watch at home? Um, and they can, they're probably watching it communally, you know, with their family or with a partner. Um, so films that kind of play well in that space and, um, and things, you know, that we do think have, um, a big, like a sort of nationwide appeal, you know, sometimes there's things that play really well in New York because, they're about a great New Yorker. You know, we've got a doc about Stan Lee and we, last year we opened with Jennifer Lopez. Like, obviously there's are big name folks that play to the, the whole country, but they made particular sense to do something to celebrate in New York city. And, um, and we, when we looked at an online festival, we were thinking that, you know, that much larger, you know, what is, what do people across the country kind of want to see and experience? I, I, on the, on the online front, um, I'm kind of fascinated by, by the, Again, the COVID era moved to online because, you know, part of look, part of uh, uh, the the whole appeal of a festival is a sense of exclusivity. Like you're, you're seeing these things and you're joining other film lovers uh, and, and coming together and you're getting the first look at whatever, something something new. Um, and the the online experience both broadens that in terms of making it available to more people, but also does kind of dilute the the you know idea of exclusivity we're doing this you know uh kind of um special thing for lack of a better word um and I, i'm curious how how a the 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 filmmakers themselves think about this you know when you when you're talking to them uh and say hey we want to put this online are they like yeah that's great or are they like well you know maybe maybe we want to be just in person um, and also just in terms of distribution, I mean, there's all sorts of questions about, you know, 
I guess I guess my big question here is, do you limit it? Do you say, well, we, we're only going to sell a thousand online viewings mm-hmm. for this movie where we can sell 2000 for this movie? Do you have to do that in in um, in partnership with the studios? Uh, how does that work? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, your question, in- exclusivity is, is interesting because um, I think we've had to ask some really hard questions, a double edged sword of like, there's an excitement to that. And there's, um, you know, people like sort of being in the room when other people can't be in the room, the the celebrity element, but um, who are you excluding, you know, and, and the, um, the accessibility of the online festival to people who could not be a part of Tribeca in the past, um, or felt like maybe they weren't our audience was um, really powerful. And I think that's something we don't want to lose now that we've um, we've broached that and kind of broadened who the festival can be available to. So um, how do you create the energy of what an, ex- like what I think you're alluding to when you say exclusivity is, is also just an, a sort of energy in the room. And that's what the filmmakers want too, is that, that feeling of excitement, um, that sort of it's never been seen before, that premiere energy that um, that can then hopefully kind of snowball into a acquisition for their film, great reviews, the sort of palpable um, experience of seeing a premiere for the first time. So um, emulating that experience online is, is I think, a big um, question still. You know, that's something that festivals are still trying to achieve and, um, and certainly creating an online screening that looks as much like an in-person screening as possible has been a big part of how we've approached it with. So exactly that you have only so many tickets available. It starts and stops at a certain time. There's an introduction and a Q and a, like you would see in person. Um, but I think that there's more to be done. You know, there's, there's more ways to create the community feeling and that excitement that, that you know, that we've kind of refined and perfected over, over many years. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I'm 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 just curious from from the business perspective on the the studios and the 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 uh, distributors. Do they uh, when you approach them and say, "Hey, we'd like to show this," how do they uh, ensure that it is not, I don't know, um, uh, immediately available to everyone? I guess I'm asking a piracy question here. How do how, how do you guys how do you guys stop uh, help help try to you know combat the 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 uh, the threat of piracy, which remains ever present and, and looming and annoying. Yes, there are a lot of security protocols. Um, we partner with a platform that has a lot of those implemented. So there's geotargeting, there's UCAPs, there's watch windows, um, there's like a blackout feature. So if you try to screen mirror, it won't have that effect. There's um, um, forensic watermarking, which was something I'd never heard of in 2019, but now I'm kind of intimately acquainted with. So there's been a lot of innovations on the security front as well to address exactly that concern. Um, because, you know, early on, like when, when it first became an idea, when it first became clear that this was the only way we were going to be able to do anything in the earliest days, um, I think people's first reaction was no. Like there was such a baked in kind of fear of being online, that um, it took a minute for filmmakers and the industry as a whole to kind of come around to it. And then you saw a period of time where there was Tribeca, there was Sundance, there was Toronto, all all these big festivals were offering huge chunks or all of their programs available online. Um, And I think now it's it's kind of come back a little to where where there's less of an appetite and more, um, uh, or at least a more of a foregrounding of the in-person premiere with the online kind of being, let's think about this as, as the second, third 
P&I screening type situation. So um, it's all kind of calibrating itself over time. Yeah. Have, I mean, have, this is a thing I don't know. And I making a bad lawyer mistake here by asking a question. I don't know the answer to, but (laughs) have there been any like big festival style leaks? I mean, I like, I, I feel like this would have been much bigger news, at least in my world. I would have seen something about this. If, if these premieres were getting like splashed all over bit torrents everywhere. Um, but I feel like that hasn't really been the case. Not that I have heard. I mean, um, I, there's there's no big example I can think of of some you know huge festival premiere that was suddenly available all over the internet. Maybe if you're deep into <laughs> the, the internets, you could find something somewhere. But um, I I can't think of a sort of scandal. Yeah, I, I again, I, I haven't either, which is, which I, I find kind of surprising just because of, you know, how much everybody worries about this sort of stuff. Let's talk about this year's festival. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I was either last year or the year before that you guys changed the name from Tribeca Film Festival to Tribeca Festival, which uh, is interesting. What was what was the impetus there? You know, over the years, we've grown so much in the kinds of programming that we do. And I think even from the earliest days, we we talked about ourselves as a storytelling festival and had that as kind of the guiding principle that it's not just film. We were one of the first festivals to do TV. I think we were the first festival to do immersive kind of VR programming. We've now added podcasts, talks, branded content. Um, so we just felt like it was a more representative name of what the scope of the program really was. I think film remains the bedrock. The, we're, we're showing the same number of features, if not more, than we always have. Um, but there's just so much else, too. And it felt appropriate to be inclusive of them, um, those projects, in the name. I, there's one in particular I want to get to in a second, but you had mentioned concerts. You guys have a really good concert lineup this year. It's kind of kind of crazy. What, what are what are some of the highlights? What are what are what should people uh, show up for if they if they can still get tickets? Yeah, we've got a couple big ones um, that we're doing as galas at the Beacon Theater. Um, we have a film called um, Let the Canary Sing that's about Cindy Lauper, and she's going to perform after that. Uh, and then we have a film called For Khadijah which is about French Montana, another, um, you know, New Yorker. He grew up here um, with, and it's really, Khadijah is his mother's name. It's really kind of a tribute to his single mom uh, raising him in New York City, which is a really kind of fresh approach to a biographical um, music doc that I appreciated. Uh, And he is going to do um, a conversation and a performance after that screening. And then our last night at the Beacon, we have uh, Carlos Santana, performing um, what is shaping up to be a pretty epic show uh, after his documentary as well. So um, those are kind of the the big gala performances. And then we have this section called Spotlight Plus, where the plus is kind of what um, what happens after the movie. And almost all of those are live music. We'll have Indigo Girls, Gloria Gaynor, Mark Ribier. Uh, we have a, a dance hall documentary. Um, we have the live Broadway show of Waitress, which was recorded sort of Hamilton style, and Sarah Bareilles will be doing a performance after that one. Uh, Gogol Bordello will be here, and Alicia Keys. So it's a pretty amazing music program uh, in addition to that. And all of those are paired with films, too. So all of it is kind of inspired by uh, the films themselves. Yeah. Um, that's great. I, I mean, that it's like it is like a 
film festival, music festival, you know, Bonnaroo, whatever. We got we got all sorts of stuff here. All right. Uh, the 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 thing that jumped out at me, and I'm really curious to to hear more from you about, um, because I haven't seen it at a festival like this before. Uh, games, mm-hmm. games. How how do you how do you program a gaming installment in into a festival like this? Because I'm 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 kind of fascinated what it will actually look like. Just are we talking panels? Are we talking previews? Are we talking li- are people going to be doing speed runs? What's the what's the what what are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, we we came at it the same way we come to every new edition of the festival, which is this is is storytelling, and this is a um, a sort of creative storytelling medium with a huge audience and really incredible creators. And there's a space in the festival world uh, to kind of be showcasing their work. And and so um, it really does mirror the film program, the the TV program, the immersive programs, in that there's there's a competition with official selections. People submit. We have games programmers who uh, play all of the submissions and kind of make those final uh, selections. So the the jury will award prizes, and then um, you can actually experience some of these games at the festival. So there's the competition, which are like independently created um, and um, premiering, sort of premiering at the festival the way a film would. And then there's um, the kind of what what would be the equivalent in the film space of like our spotlight or our tentpole films, where there's um, kind of anticipated uh, major releases and they'll come and they'll do a panel, they'll maybe premiere some content um, or they'll do a conversation about it. Um, and and those kind of tentpole moments exist integrated throughout the festival as well. Can I ask what some of the tentpole games are this year? Well, I know that we have uh, a an incredible event that I'm excited for with Hideo Kojima coming. And this is actually a documentary, so I'm cheating <laughs> my uh-huh. answer a bit. But it's a documentary about him, and um, he's going to come and do a conversation afterwards, which is really exciting because I know his appearances are rare. We've been fortunate to have him at the festival in the past, but in terms of a, a creator who um, really is pushing the storytelling potential of the medium, we couldn't, you know, be more excited to have him come and speak at the festival in the context of storytelling and film yeah i mean that is a that's a big get uh he is a he's one of the greats uh the all right uh so let's let's uh move on a little bit else here you know tv what what is what is the state of tv um at at the festival you know what what are you guys looking at in terms of the uh the the prestige landscape how are how is that shaping up yeah so tv has been with us for Many, many years. Um, we, we trace our TV lineage back to showing the, the series finale of Friends in, I think, like 2004 or whenever that happened. Um, and it became its own section probably six or seven years ago now. Uh, and we've been fortunate to have some premieres of incredible, you know, major television. It was Handmaid's Tale premiered with us, Chernobyl. Last year, The Bear World premiered at Tribeca. So um, we really saw, again, a space that the festival, that a festival could serve to this audience and to the the creators, because there, there you know, there's some TV festivals, but um, to be able to kind of offer that communal experience for something that most audiences are maybe used to watching at home um, or you know with their families was really well received by audiences and by the the networks and the streamers to have that opportunity to be have their work recognized, be an official selection, kind of um, be curated and put on the same level as, as some of the feature films that we have. So. Uh, this year's program, it's it's ten uh, events, and we have they're mostly new series that are premiering, um, like uh, you know some big stuff, the new uh, Walking Dead spinoff, Dead City, which is set in New York, 
Um, we have a doc series about Oscar de la Hoya called Golden Boy. We have Steven Soderbergh's new series with HBO, which has a really stacked cast. Uh, and then there's some kind of returning favorites. The the most, the probably the hottest ticket of the festival was the Outlander season seven premiere, which sold out in I think a minute and a half or something like that. So um, we're expecting that one to be to be bonkers. So it really just shows how passionate these audiences are and how much they want an opportunity to engage with the cast and the creators and each other at um, in a festival style sort of presentation. I, I, uh, every year I, I talk to, uh, the, the programmer at Paley Fest and I'm always, mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated by the, the, the fandoms that, that show up for these TV, uh, these TV style shows and, um, the, the, the fact that the hottest ticket at Tribeca this year is for Outlander makes me like, fills me with joy in a weird way. I, <laughs> I, I kind of love that. I love that, uh, that obsessive energy there. That, it's yeah. shocking. A minute and a half. That's crazy. It was, and people were angry. <laughs> so <laughs> if we could make more seats, we would, because I love to see it. Um, and, you know, we have the whole cast coming out for it. So uh, it should be, should be bonkers. That's great. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the new Steven Soderbergh show um, that, uh, that you guys are going to be, but you, you also have a uh, Tribeca talk with David Fincher, right? David Fincher and Steven Soderbergh, mm -hmm. which sounds I like can't imagine two more interesting directors talking to each other. Uh, mm -hmm. That is a that is great. Tell me a little bit about the Tribeca talks because that is always one of the the highlights of the festival. Just you know, you get these, you get titans of uh, of entertainment and great artists kind of talking to each other about their art, which I find a much more useful thing than having a schlub like me talk to somebody about uh, their art. The, you you get you get folks who actually know the intricacies and the difficulties um, of the uh, artistic creative experience uh, yeah. explaining it to folks. Yeah, it really came from, um, you know, wanting to do talks in a different way than maybe anyone else is doing talks. You see you, a lot of panels and um, or conversations with someone who's, you know, doing the circuit and promoting a project. But we were like, how about what if we start with picking the people and, you know, they're really there to to have a conversation about um, about their careers and about their industry and let's pair them with someone unexpected or someone that they chose. you know we go back to the part David Fincher says yes and we say who do you want to talk to um, and sometimes they choose a friend sometimes they choose someone they've never met before but admire and really the most interesting conversations emerge from that because you know you're gonna have we have um, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda with Rosie Perez. We have um, Paul McCartney with Conan O'Brien. We have John Mellencamp with David Letterman. You know, I think any of these people alone would be fascinating to hear speak. But when you put them in conversation with each other, uh, it really is these incredibly memorable, unique hours of um, of conversation that we're, we're really proud to to host. And David Fincher has been one that I've been hoping <laughs> to get for the festival for many years. So um, I will be there in the audience because... <laughs> Uh, unlike the films, you know, I go into the festival, I've seen all the films, but these talks, um, they only happen during those 10 days. And, and, um, and you really have to kind of be there to, to capture that. How do the, I, I, I assume it depends uh, on the, the pairing and it changes from, from person to person, but how do they prepare for these? I mean, do you guys get them? Are, are, do they trade emails? I, what, what is the actual process like for making a conversation um, that is both informative and interesting and, you know, still feels kind of off the cuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it de- it really depends on on the people involved and the extent to which they want us involved. You know, we're we're we want to be supportive and we want it to be interesting as well. So you know, it runs the gamut. We have fully prepped questions before and watched as that person read the questions that we prepared. Um, but you know, when you have David Letterman or you have Conan O'Brien, I, you know, they they are going to be prepared for the conversation. They're going to have their own process. So um, you know, we we sort of allow. The participants to dictate the the process that they want to follow, and you know sometimes it is more conversational. There are people who've known each other for many years, and they get together and and chat, and it's incredible. And sometimes it's it's much more um, kind of by the book. Mm-hmm. Are these? Uh, I I I'm sorry, I don't actually know. I should know the answer to this. Uh, are these going to be live streamed as well? Can people buy tickets to watch these online, or are these only going to be in person? They're not live streamed. Um, we do capture most of them and make them available later. Um, okay. Whether I, it sort of depends on which ones. Some will be kind of on our virtual platform. Some um, we turn into podcasts and release throughout the year. You can go back and listen to many previous Tribeca talks from over the years um, through our podcasts. Okay, great. Uh, all right. What else? What else is going on at the festival that uh, that folks should know about? I mean, th- those were all the the things, that, the highlights I had kind of keyed in on. Um, what else should folks uh, be aware of that's that's happening at Tribeca? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple other new things we have going on this year. Um, one is a section called Escape from Tribeca. That's part of our sort of lives within our midnight programming. Um, and the idea behind this is that it's it's sort of all the films you wouldn't uh, that that wouldn't have been part of our midnight section before we created this. So it's supposed to be fun and wild and raucous and um, and celebratory of kind of the, the late night crowd. So we have um, we're doing a special focus on Bruce Lee, uh, which will include an Enter the Dragon anniversary screening um, and then a bit of a reunion, a panel with some of the folks who originally made the film, a, a celebration of him. It's also the anniversary of his death. So we're going to do a little a live tribute. Um, and there's a documentary as well called Enter the Clones of Bruce, which is about this era of um, Bruce Lee kind of tributes. Um, they called them Bruce exploitation films yeah. that happened after his um, after Enter the Dragon, after his success. Um, so that's a really fun, incredible, uh, informative doc. We have a film within that called Final Cut that's from France. It's a zombie comedy that I think is really incredible. Also, somehow, miraculously, a um, behind-the-scenes kind of making of um, backstage comedy. So uh, I hope people kind of come out and discover that one. There's a couple other things uh, in that section as well. And then also new this year, um, well, sort of an evolution is since the festival's been in June, which it's been over the last couple years, um, we've been creating programming for Juneteenth and we, uh, have kind of renamed this, this year, uh, expressions of black freedom and created a focus on music, which we touched on, on some of the music programming in the festival already, but it's also the 50th anniversary of hip hop this year, which was born in New York. And so to kind of do something specifically, uh, around hip hop and, and New York city felt really, um, appropriate, timely for us. We have a doc about Biz Marquis called All Up in the Biz. Um, we're screening Wild Style and, um, you know, there's sort of programming throughout the festival that feeds into this as a, as a festival-wide theme. So I think if that's interesting um, to anyone, they should come and check that out. So um, those are the the kind of highlights of, of brand new stuff. But um, yeah, as you said, there's, you know, 
so much more <laughs> in there. We have Elemental, the new Pixar movie, which I'm taking my kids to. So I really hope um, people kind of discover some of the family programming as well. I, it's wild, just the amount of uh, uh, of stuff at the at the festival. Uh, I'm I'm like almost overwhelmed. I was almost overwhelmed looking at the the schedule, trying to figure out what to focus on here. I I, I did want to you you mentioned um, uh, the the Juneteenth programming. There are some interesting panels on diversity and in, in film and uh, inclusiveness and storytelling. One one that jumped out, not actually about. Uh, race, but was about disability and the portrayal of uh, disability on screen. Could you talk about that just a little bit? I'm curious what that panel um, will will look like and sound like. Yeah, so um, we have panels throughout the festival it, that mostly take place in our um, spring studios, the hub of the festival, and we have some lounges in there. So anything, all these talks that are, um, you know, sort of state of the industry conversations um, are going to live in that space and they definitely have a strong focus on diversity and inclusion um, and the you know not just Tribeca but really what's going on across the industry and I think uh, disability is um, you know maybe underrepresented when people have these conversations and um, we wanted to be sure that we were speaking to to that um, within the programming as well whether that's you know specific to Tribeca's programming and 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 representation on screen or uh, in terms of creators, but also in terms of audience accessibility. So um, these, like I mentioned before, you know, I think these are questions that um, the pandemic has has forced a lot of festivals to grapple with more than they they ever have in the past. So that's been really meaningful and, and what better space for us to kind of come together and have that conversation than at the festival and um, and kind of see what the the future could could look like when we have all these incredible storytellers and thinkers and industry executives here in town for it. What, uh, I, I guess one, one last question here, um, uh, since you mentioned the, the, the grappling with kind of how, how these festivals work, do you, do you think there is a kind of movement back toward, um, I don't know, a reaction against the, the digitalization of festivals? I mean, do you think, some fest I, you guys seem to be pretty pretty open with like we're just going to do online we're going to do in person we're going to do it all but i do i i get the sense that for some other festivals there's more like well we're not we're not going to do as much of the online stuff we want people here at the the festival do you see a little bit of retrenchment in in other 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 places yeah i think there is sort of a movement the other direction um but i i think it's important to kind of continue thinking about it because who are we leaving behind when we say, oh, we're not doing it online anymore. It's too important to be in person, which I think um, sounds great and, and feels right when, you know, when you're someone used to experiencing festivals in person. Um, but I think the, the huge groups of people that have traditionally been excluded that were able to be a part of Tribeca and the whole festival community um, through these innovations, I think it's important to preserve that. So it may not look the way that it looks today, but I think the, the right answer is not to just go back to how it looked before. The right answer is to kind of come up with something together that works for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was pretty much everything I wanted to ask. I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If, you, if there's anything you think folks should know about uh, the Tribeca Festival in general, the state of film, whatever. I mean, I'm, uh, I, I always like to know what I have not asked and should have. 
Um, tickets on sale now. <laughs> TribecaFilm.com. That's that's my closing statement uh, <laughs> for the next two weeks. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Then you say, what what is uh, an event that still has tickets on sale that you think people should definitely check out? Your your. Oh. Go ahead. Oh, it's elemental. I, I'm so excited about this. The the new Pixar movie, um, it's opening at the end of June. We have the New York premiere and filmmaker is going to be at the second screening. Um, so we have two screenings of it. And, you know, this is the one movie that I'm actually going to see at the festival because I can bring my kids. And um, and it's really exciting to me in principle, too, that we're, we're just doing more for families. And op- again, opening up the audience, like who who has not been part of the festival before? And um, we haven't done a lot of family programming over the years. so. Uh, I would really love to see a, a big, full, fun premiere for that festival. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that as as a, a parent of two small children uh, who likes to take them to the theaters. Uh, I, you know, it it definitely is not something that has ever occurred to me to be like, I'm going to take my kids to Sundance mm-hmm. or Tribeca. Uh, but I, I, I do feel like that's an underexplored space in terms of, you know, programming for a festival. How do you I mean? I, this gets to another of my long running issues with the industry and kind of the the move to take things online. But like, I don't know how you can um, raise the next generation of film goer without including them in events like this. Yeah, that's my thing as well. I mean, I'm choosing to raise two small kids in New York because we can take them to the Museum of Natural History and the Guggenheim and the Bronx Zoo. Like, you have these incredible resources for. Uh, families by living in New York. And I, I would like Tribeca to be a part of that. Um, it's not just elemental. We have a, an animated film from China called Deep Sea that's in 3D. It's some of the most incredible animation I've ever seen um, and sort of a Miyazaki-esque story, maybe for slightly older kids with subtitles. Um, we're doing a, a free screening of Shark Tale. We're showing Planet B-Boy and doing a breakdancing tutorial. You know, we really are trying to do um a lot of programming for all audiences because um it's it's part of the same story we're telling it's not just about film embracing tv and games and immersive is also about reaching new audiences and kind of designing what the future of visual storytelling is going to look like so bringing um bringing the next generation into that is is a big part of of create of maintaining that culture yeah yeah, well, that's great. That is great to hear. I love to hear that. All right. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank um, you. And, and again, tickets on sale at TribecaFilm.com. Uh, you can you can get all 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 the stuff we talked about here, or I guess some of it. You can, no Outlander tickets, but everything else. You cannot get Outlander. <laughs> most, most of the other stuff is still, you, you can still get uh, tickets for. So check that out, TribecaFilm.com. Um, I'm Sunny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, uh, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.